Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast with me, Ian Cheeseman, and very, very big thank you to charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of this podcast and have been throughout this season. And we know that this has been an unusual season uh, with uh, the, the lockdowns and the games behind closed doors, etc. And we know that businesses have struggled. I'm very aware of that. Um, and it's harder and harder to get sponsorship. So charleslouis.co.uk, who are chartered mortgage advisors, are about as valued as you can possibly get, along with my friends at Hot Click Marketing. Uh, they've been with us throughout the season. I should also say on this, not quite the last podcast of the season, but last Premier League one, if you want to call it that, a big shout out to City themselves for their support of the vlog for the last two seasons. Um, it's not going to continue on on the mancity.com website, but I do really appreciate their support and my relationship with them uh, continues to be very, very good. So thank you to City for their support. Uh, and also to the RRG group, who's, who've been sponsoring me throughout this season too. So big shout outs to them, but particularly charleslouis.co.uk, mortgage advisors. If you're buying, selling, need advice, give them a call, look them up on the internet. And Dave or whoever answers the phone will give you great support. As do the people who contribute to the vlogs and the podcasts regularly. Um, I thank them very, very much. Tonight we've got Will, who behind the scenes does a lot of editing for me. Um, and helps me out tremendously, far more than you can imagine when you listen to these things. So big shout out to Will, who's also on the podcast tonight, so you'll hear him. Uh, Louisa, who's been with me on various different radio programmes and podcasts for many years now, so we're both getting very old. Um, <laughs> we've also got uh, Harlan, who uh, always has an opinion. Uh, and it's always a very good opinion, who's got somebody sat with him today. So can you introduce who's with you? I have indeed, Ian. Uh, I've got my best pal of 17 years, Joel. Um, went through some ribbons at school together. We've been best pals. we followed City um, as long as we've known each other um, and all our lives. So, yeah, uh, Joel's a very um, educated guy, knows about football, knows about City. And he's, so what's, uh, what's he doing with you then? I mean, you know, I mean, you have my sympathies, Joel, if you're his best mate. But <laughs> how, do you put, how do you put up with him? <laughs> oh, I do. Trust me. <laughs> we'll, we'll hear from you a little bit later on. We've also got Amy. Amy was on a, a podcast not too long ago. She's been on the vlog. She's a new contributor to uh, the, the Forever Blue brand. And we really welcome you. I hope you'll continue on with us as well. And we might get Andy a little bit later on, who's been travelling to see his dad today. So he may join us on the podcast later. So we've got a bit a bigger lineup than normal. And the reason for that is because we're going to look back on the season. Um, Obviously, the, the Premier League season is now over. Uh, the domestic cups are now over. Um, David Silver's played his last uh, Premier League game for the club. Um, we've seen the transition from a normal season into would we return and then how would it return? And then it did return behind closed doors. I've had my reservations about that, uh, about it coming back in the first place, but it's back. And as a obsessive fan who's travelled all over the country, all over the world in fact, for over 40 years uh, and not missing games. Um, it's, been a, it's been hard for me, I can't deny, to, to see the transition to the new football. But it is what it is and none of us can help what has happened. Uh, and obviously we're just glad to still be healthy and well and still have City fans all over the world who are eating and drinking in what has been another marvellous season. I mean, in that last game against Norwich, Edison got the Golden Glove. Um, Kevin De Bruyne hit the 20 mark for assists, equaling 
Thierry Henry. I personally thought he should have got a 21st assist when the ball went back off a Norwich player, but it, it was him that instigated that. Uh, we also saw David Silva complete his time at City, um, but we've seen just things that we, as City fans, perhaps didn't dream of when we were in the you know third tier of English football and, and having those dark days, which Harlan and Joel don't remember and Will hardly remember. No, he doesn't remember. And probably Amy doesn't even. Well, you probably do yeah, remember yeah. a bit of it, don't you? I do. And, but Louisa, <laughs> you know, being being ancient, does remember. So <laughs> here we are, very very appreciatively. So, oh, it's um, <laughs> well, I'm going to start with you, Amy, actually. So <laughs> you tell us, how, how would you sum up this season? Because to me, despite finishing second to Liverpool, it's been another amazing season. Yeah, we, we've, we've done well. I mean, you know, now we've missed out on a few trophies, but fingers crossed for Champions League. But I think we've played some amazing football again. Um, it's amazing to watch us. You can't help feel joy watching our, our, you know, the beautiful football that we play because, yeah, I do remember the, the crappy times. <laughs> and um, to see how we are now and uh, commentators having to praise us is, is the most amazing feeling that you get when they have to swallow the pride and say that City have done well. That, it, that just gives you a real big buzz. You get the feeling that it sticks in some people's throats. I mean, I'm sure the others are probably going to talk about him later on, but Jamie Carragher's had a lot of stick, for example. Um, and even even the ball-by-ball commentators, of which I was one for, for 25 years, it feels like sometimes there's a sort of grudging um, praise for City rather than yeah. a fulsome praise. Do you, do you, am, I, am I wrong on that? No, definitely not. Um, like, especially, you know, I won't mention any channels but there is oh, certain you can ones. mention any channels you want you, right. you mention them no problem okay. well bt sport is my biggest biggest pain in the backside um i'm glad sky sports are letting micah talk because it's been so good it's been so refreshing having micah on sky sports it really has but bt sport i could literally chuck out the window i just think they're just so biased to united and liverpool it's just disgusting. Do you ever send any letters of complaint in, Amy, or do you just swallow uh, it all up? I just like, yeah. I, sometimes I get angry on Twitter, but, you know, not that it makes any difference, but... <laughs> Go on, Will. What, what's your summing up of, of City's season? I mean, it's it's been, you know, not quite there in terms of the Premier League and obviously the FA Cup uh, semi-final stage, but the League Cup and... I guess that even in your early years as a City fan, if somebody had said to you, you know what, you'll finish second in the league, win the League Cup, and, and you'll be FA Cup semi-finalists, and in the Champions League last 16, you'd have took that, wouldn't you? And especially this football. It, funnily enough, it's only taken me until today, really, to properly yeah, accept that, that, yeah, second and a trophy is a good season. Um, I just think... At some stages, when you, work, when you are falling behind in the league and you notice that, um, you know, obviously Liverpool are widening the gap almost every other game, it, it starts to get disappointing when you're worried about relinquishing your title because it it's our title, really, that we're letting go. Um, but, yeah, like you're saying, it, once you get over the disappointment of not winning the league, and I think the important thing is we got over that disappointment a long time ago 
So we've not had a really sort of heart-crushing last-day defeat like United did in 2012. We've, we've accepted it in February and we've been able to move on. It, it'd be nice to move on in the FA Cup and show that, you know, we, we can still be an unstoppable winning machine. Obviously, that, that couldn't go on forever. So we need to prove that in Europe and hopefully give David the send-off that he undoubtedly deserves. You know I'm going to play devil's advocate in uh, in this, these debates. So I'm going to ask you this question. Um, and it's something that at a certain grain of thought in my, in my mind as I was watching the Norwich match and one or two of the others, uh, the big victories, you know, towards the end of the season. Um, have, have the games lacked physicality? Uh, you know, has the game changed? And I've... I don't know whether it's that the City games in certain against certain opposition have become too easy, but yeah. we've heard criticism come from other fans saying that, you know, City are boring. But I'll put it to you that sometimes when you're winning comfortably, football becomes boring, even if you're a City fan, even if you're winning. Is there any validity in that? Or do you watch these 5-0 wins against Norwich and... 5-0 wins against other teams because the City do it regularly now against the weaker team and still enjoy it as much? Well, obviously you always enjoy when your team wins wins big. I think there's there's no question in that. But no, I agree with you in the fact that this the, the, this whole transition period essentially has been perfect for us because, the, like you say, the, the games have been less physical. Players don't want to risk injury in the close season, especially the ones coming to where the end of the contract. So they step off us a bit. We've not been hassled as much. We can we can play out. They've basically been training games, haven't they? Attack versus defence. They've just tried not to get humiliated. And then, obviously, you throw in, we get a drinks break as well. So we, Pep can come in halfway through the first and second half and readjust, which is perfect for him. You know, he doesn't, he's never had that opportunity before. Plus, you get in the five substitutes, which, you know, for a massive squad like us, when you can bring on players like, you know, Riyad, Mahrez, Bernardo, Silva, they're not starting 11 players, but when you can bring them on and know, and not have to worry that you're going to be left with 10 men due to a daft injury, this, this whole thing has suited us. It's just a shame we were so far behind in the league for it not to play any advantage, really. Louisa, you, how, how do you look back on the season? Do you look back on this as a, a vintage season? I mean, obviously, you're going to compare it mainly with the seasons we've just had. Yeah, I kind of feel like um, I'm, I'm split 50-50 between still obviously living in the past of all those disappointments and all those years of not having any glory, even some matches where we probably deserved to and we never got it and then we were relegated and relegated. Um, but then, and so then you think, well, am I being greedy? by wanting us to, to win every match or do as well as what we can. And I suppose you can say, yeah, I'm being greedy. But I also think that the level that we're at now with the players that we have and the um, largeness of the club and the skill that those players have and the price that they cost, then, of course, I, I do feel like there's higher expectations. And it's and hopefully I've not got anything mixed up or wrong, but pull me if I have. But we've lost nine games this season and someone like United have only lost eight. So we've actually lost more matches than, than Manchester United. Um, obviously, we've won more than they have and they've had a lot more draws, which is how you know we've got the points. But I do feel like we kind of probably lost the season a little bit 
I don't feel like Liverpool won it outright. Um, I don't feel like they dominated. I don't feel like every match I've watched of them play, they, they were unstoppable or they were sublime. Whereas some seasons that we've won the league and other teams as well, to be fair to other teams, even your Uniteds and your Chelsea's, they've been absolutely sublime. They've been untouchable and nobody's been able to get close and they've deserved to win that championship. Whereas... I kind of feel like this season we've lost it a bit. We've not lost the plot. I mean, we lost the season. You know, we could have done a lot better than lose nine matches. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the matches that we have lost and we've lost both Wolves matches, both of them this season. We lost both derbies. You know, we did lose against Liverpool, fair enough. They are the champions. They are a good team. And we lost away at Anfield. You know, it is difficult to win at Anfield. I think everybody can agree to that. Um, we lost Norwich, you know, at, at the beginning of the season, 3-2. So there were, there were games here. Southampton, 1-0, you know, more recently. Um, there, there were games here. Draws, Palace, 2-2. You know, Spurs, 2-2 at the beginning. Some of these matches, especially at home, you kind of think you should be winning. Um, well, I'll take your point. And, and, and as we go along in this conversation, well, perhaps we'll try and analyse what the difference has been and why those defeats have happened. Have you got one standout game, one, one image in your mind that you will take from this season, a positive one, one that makes you smile, one that makes you happy? Um... I'm, I'm not sure about a specific game. Maybe someone will have to jog my memory a little bit and I might be able to sort of come back into that um, a, a little bit more. I just kind of think that any game where De Bruyne's turned it around and there has been a, a few of those that maybe Harlan can help out with in a minute because I know he's got a great memory for this kind of thing. Um, that anything, you know, say like we have been playing flat or we might have been behind or whatever, or it's nil-nil and suddenly De Bruyne's just gone, right, you know what, I'm grabbing this by the scruff of the neck and we are now going to win this game and then we end up doing. Um, so, yeah, and hopefully Harlan can maybe help me pick out there is one that's in there, but I can't remember who it was against. Well, we'll go to Harlan then, uh, who can bring in Joel if he wants, or who can uh, dominate, as he probably will. <laughs> Come on, Harlan. What, 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 first of all, let, let, in your positive way, tell me how great a season this has been. It's been a, a, a quality season in terms of the football that we've played for the majority of it. Um, defensively, Poor at times. That's massively down to losing America as early as we did, um, as horrifically as we did as well, because it wasn't an easy um, injury to sort, needed a lot of rehab, and we missed him for a really key uh, part of the season as well, that Christmas period, where I always believe that you get a foothold back in a season. If you're not quite performing well enough coming up to Christmas, it's almost like a, a turning point in a season where from January to, to May is like a, a brand new season again. And we... we... Uh, hold, hold on a minute. Me and Louisa now have got shock on our face because I was expecting you to come charging in and say, oh, Pep Guardiola's team. And, and you've gone straight away for the negative. Come on, Harlan. You're yeah, our boss. Well, that, 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 that was where I think it, it, it started to become... Um, we can't Obviously. get him out of this rut, can we? No, no, no that, it might not, that it might not be our season, but um, the football's been unbelievable. 
Uh, De Bruyne, there's a reason why he's got 20 assists, and it's because he's the finest player in the league. Um, Aguero, again, um, I did a post on Facebook a couple of months ago. If Aguero would have been fit for all the seasons that we've had him and had the look that other players in the league have had without injuries, he'd have smashed Alan Shearer's record to smithereens. It, it, it's such a shame that he's not been able to play as much in the last couple of seasons as we would have liked him to. Um, but this season, there's been some really standout players. Mares for me, been a breath of fresh air at times. He's, he's carried us through games. He's dragged us through games. Um, the Brown has been outstanding, like I said. David Silva looks like a 21-year-old. Watching him today on the pitch, running, running rings around people. Yes, it's Norwich, but there's some very talented young players in that Norwich team, Cantwell being one. And David Silva was head and shoulders above them all. Um, but I think the football that we play is far superior to Liverpool's football. This isn't, this isn't a tongue-in-cheek comment. This is genuinely what I mean. They, for me, are a glorified Burnley with better players and a bit more quality at times. It's a similar style. It's a bit kick and rush, as McGrath used to call it. Switching, switching the ball, um, you know, waiting for half chances, waiting for it to hit someone's bum cheek and then toe poke it home. And yes, goals are goals, Ian. Goals are goals. But at the end of the day, don't try and tell me that Liverpool are the best team in the league because they are well and truly not the best football team in the league. We have been for the last three years. We'll continue to be for forevermore. Well, OK. Well, you redeemed yourself a bit with some positivity. And I'm only taking the mic out of you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's analyse it then. Um, you know, Louise has gone through the details of it. Nine defeats, which is the, you know, what, it, what it all boils down to. I remember being at, at Carrow Road doing my vlog early on in the season. And the Norwich fans outside the ground were saying to me, well, take it easy today, don't want you, you won't get double figures and joking about like that. They had no expectation whatsoever. And I certainly didn't expect to come away from that ground with a defeat. And I wonder whether uh, that defeat actually had a big psychological effect on City because it was only one defeat. You know, and people always say, well, you know, it's only one game. You don't win and lose it on one game. But I wonder how much that defeat affected the team. Have any of you got a theory on that as to whether one game really does make a difference? I think the game that made the difference was the early one at Anfield. Was it October? November the, November the 11th, weren't it? It was, it, was, it was 2019 anyway, but yeah, I think that was... December, December the 11th, it might have been, well, actually. December, I think it was, yeah. But... The loss at Anfield was the one where I really started to think, like, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't our year. Um, so the Norwich defeat didn't worry you, not well, did it not? For some reason, I always I, the, the smaller games, I can always understand a slip up. You, you sort of lose your concentration, but when you lose the big games, when you lose the title deciders, that's they're the one that hurt. But after the season we just come off, just eating a biscuit. Sorry. Um, <laughs> After the season we'd just come off, when it literally was nip and tuck between City and Liverpool, it was a thrilling season, uh, and went you know that fantastic run at the end. When this season started and Liverpool started with with win after win after win, it very quickly occurred to me that there was very very little scope for mistake. It felt to me as if one of the teams, obviously I hoped it was City. Was gonna was gonna keep winning and keep winning. Now, 
I know in the end, Liverpool only only got 99 points, which is lovely <laughs> that they didn't break the uh, City record. Um, but still, 99 points is the second best Premier League tally of all time. And, and it felt to me as if there was very little scope for mistake. You didn't think that then, Will, did you not? I, I, I'm always far too optimistic. I, funnily enough, I saw a Liverpool collapse at the end of the season. And I know, obviously, everything's been affected by the pandemic and whatnot. But I think I always predicted the collapse, but I just didn't predict we would so, be so far behind we wouldn't be able to take advantage of it. I think that my long-term plan was the season as, as it started panning out was... Right, hopefully Liverpool start going into a rut towards the end and that's when we'll capitalise. But it was too late. We, we, we'd lost so, and like Louisa was saying before, so many pointless draws and games where we should have won. That was, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one game when, when you've gone two seasons with hard, hardly ever losing a game and then you lose nine in this season. I think it's hard to pinpoint one. I, I kind of, sorry, I kind of feel like, though, that not, not sort of to contradict or argue as such, but some of the big games, you kind of expect to lose those. And especially when you go away, you know, you, you don't, you, you kind of expect, well, I'm going to lose at Stamford Bridge. I'm, we are going to lose at Stamford Bridge or we're going to lose at Anfield. It's the other ones, you know, it's your Southamptons and Norwiches and your Wolves. You know, they're the ones that hurt me personally. They're the ones that we should be winning, even though we're away from home. And, and, and it sounds awful because it sounds quite disrespectful to those teams. And, and I don't want to come across as disrespectful. But still, where we are in the league and what we've achieved over, you know, the last sort of eight years, I, I, well, uh, sorry, nine, uh, ten years, including that FA Cup that, that we got, um, I just kind of feel like they're the ones that hurt. They're the ones we should be winning, you know, against the lower teams. Obviously, City um, haven't played to the same levels. So far, there's still a Champions League to come and we don't know how the season's going to end. But given that, you know, City capitulated quite weakly against Arsenal in the end, particularly defensively, and there's a lot of concern about the defence. Is the defence an issue for you, Amy? Is... is is the defence the reason why City lost nine games? Is it as simple as that? Because they did score 102 goals this season. So scoring goals clearly isn't the problem. But the, and the, when I'm saying the defence, I don't want to make it... Well, I'm, I'm suggesting it might not specifically be the defenders. It is yeah. the way the team defends. It, is, it, is that the problem? And is, is, that, is that Pep's Achilles heel, as some journalists suggest? Like obviously, Vinny was in that in that area, and he commanded people around him. And when he went, I know we can say like, "Oh, well, we've lost Aguero, so we're not going to score as many." Oh, we lost Laporte, so we're not going to do anything. But Vinny was our man; he was the one that brought us all together. And certain aspects. I don't believe, and I, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe that Ottomendi and John Stones are a good partnership together. I like them as individual players, but I don't think they'd work well together. Yet when Vinny was with them, they worked, they worked really well. I, and if it weren't for Edison, I don't know where we'd be. Like, we'd probably be where Norwich are now. Like, 
you know, it's, it's certain aspects. I think there's certain, you know, it's like in all places of work, there's sometimes you don't gel with people who you work with. You might like them in the dressing room or wherever, or when, on nights out or whatever, but together you don't work as well. And I think, I think that's what he needs to look at. He needs to look at who works best together. And then, you know, hopefully next season, we can come back stronger and we'll do better. That's quite a statement to say that without Edison, City would be down where Norwich are. That's a hell of a statement, isn't it? Well, I'm, not, I'm not saying it, but all I'm just saying that in between them sticks is, is a good thing. I, I, I love Edison. I think, you know, I, I never get frightened when the ball goes up there. Like, you know, whereas some games with Mr. Bravo, I scared was quite scared <laughs> when he when the ball went to him but like I say certain partnerships don't always gel together and I think that's where it needs to be looked at you know you can't you can't say that because Laporte's not there oh we, we're not going to do well because you shouldn't do that we have a good team it's just certain partnerships don't gel together and we've just been joined by uh, by Andy who's another regular on the uh, the podcast and the vlogs, etc. Um, so welcome, Andy. Um, you've missed Evening. what we've been talking about early on. Uh, we've been talking about. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to sing City's praises and say what a great season it's been. We're we're, the, we're in the middle of analysing what went wrong, but start off by telling us what your highs have been in in this season. Well, evening, everyone. Hi, Ian. Well. I think uh, we've won a trophy. That's the first thing. Uh, you know, again, winning mentality continues. Um, excuse me, my cat's ripping a cardboard box up in the room. You can hear that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the highs for me, I think, are still the Champions League and the progress we've made. Whether or not we see that through till the bitter end is going to be quite some challenge but I think the team shows at times its ability to compete with the best in the world and it's just finding that consistency I think which has been the frustration of the season You think um, in any other season if we if that game hadn't been behind closed doors against Liverpool that the victory at the Etihad against Liverpool would be your standout game or does the fact that A Liverpool won the league and B it was behind closed doors take that away? No the standout game was in the Bernabeu I'm sorry, there's nothing comes close to that this season. Uh, for me, nowhere near anything else. The way we played, the whole uh, UEFA thing, the La Liga, poisoning of City, everything. It, it, it was perfect. And, and I think we'd already given the league up by then. And I think the after closed doors stuff, really, you can't, you can't really judge that. I mean, look at Leicester... They're a side who were brilliant before the lockdown, but bad afterwards. So I think the season tainted uh, in that respect. Um, for me, the low light of the season by far was VAR. Um, there might. Do you think that's affected up. City more than more than anybody well, else, or is that just well, a general comment about VAR? Well, Eddie's got his golden glove because of VAR today. So you know, I can say it, uh, many negative things, but there's been some positive things. In the end, we've got to learn to play uh, football without being offside. And Gabriel Jesus, I mean, he really needs to learn where the offside line is. 
really, because I think uh, this season he'd have had 10 more goals. And we were chatting about it today. And, um, you know, Sterling has had some purple patches and some not-so-purple patches this season, but he's going to end the season with, what, I think, 30 goals. I mean, you know, he's 40 goals plus capability, really. And the, the potential in the team going forward, we've got the greatest player in the Premier League playing for us in Kevin De Bruyne. Probably going to skip of the team. Yeah, we're going to lose David Silva, and that's going to be a blow. And I hope it's not going to be anything like the losing of company, which I think for me was the big low point of the season that we went into the into the start of the season without any kind of replacement for him, and felt a bit disappointed that he left it late to tell us he was actually on his way. But again, the club were probably partially responsible for not making sure there was something in place earlier and making sure that you know Vinny felt loved. You can talk about that, you probably better than anyone, having written his uh, Trouble Triumph story. But um, overall, I think the season's been, so far, pretty good. I think Arsenal needed that semi-final win so much for their European aspirations. We clearly weren't on the, on the ball that night. That might have done us some good going forward with the game against Madrid, which I believe is still going to be in Manchester, despite the... Um, Special exemption for uh, the Premier League or the right. Champions League or whatever. OK, yeah. I wasn't sure, but that's good to hear. Um, another reason for us uh, not to boot uh, UEFA, maybe, but uh, I can't see that happening anytime soon. So, you know, all in all, the season's not over. The highlight is that, without doubt, was Madrid. I'm going to ask Harlan now, because obviously Harlan is our go-to tactical analyst, right? Our football anorak, in the nicest possible <laughs> way, because he's a chip off my, my block, if you like, because <laughs> me too, I'm, I am into that sort of thing. So I'm going to put this to you, Harlan, as much as you might pick out players and, and moves and all the rest of it, when I spoke on the vlog to Mark Riley, the BBC6 uh, BBC DJ, uh, around the Norwich game, um, I asked him sort of what was his highlight of the season, and he said, without doubt, winning the Cass Appeal. Um, as a as a football anorak, do you do, does that compute with you? I mean, I know I, I get that obviously you realise the significance of it, but if you, if I was pushing you on the highlight, would you accept that that could actually be the highlight of the season? It, 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 I appreciate what he's saying. Um, Massive win, like I said the other week um, to the people that were on the podcast and the people that heard it, I said to everyone, it was like winning a trophy. You know, I mean, I spoke to Joel about it, didn't I? Yeah. Like winning a trophy. That Winning that cast appeal was like winning a trophy. It felt so good. I was really? punching the really? air all you know, you know when you found out at 10, or when it was confirmed at 10.30, because obviously I'd told you on Twitter on Friday, so <laughs> you should have <laughs> took my word for it. But on the basis <laughs> on the basis that you didn't get the confirmation until 10.30 on, on Monday morning, were you when you when you win when you see City win trophies? I can imagine you dancing around with your Jess, giving Winning her a around, hug. mate. Yeah. Listen, I've got a bare window in my flat, right, and I've got Fred Dibner right outside my window, and there's hundreds of people walking past. And every time we score a goal in lockdown, I sprint into the front room, I stand on window, and I start going like that to everyone outside. That's what. What I'm did doing. you do when they won the Cass Appeal? And did you do that at ten thirty on Monday morning? Well, I'm not going to tell you what I had on Ian. Um, but I leapt out of bed and started running around bedroom, waving top in her. So yeah, it was. Uh, I think Jess enjoyed it anyway. 
<laughs> but I don't no, want to imagine I, that scenario. I had boxes on, don't worry. Um, but yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it. It was it was it was a great day. But my highlight was definitely beating Watford eight 0 at home and being five 0 up in the first eighteen minutes. And then having Ben Foster confirm last week on YouTube in his interview that the fact that he'd gone eighteen minutes without conceding five goals was his highlight of the season, really, against us. Confirm that to me. I think the fact that Watford have gone down um, to the Championship, by their own standards, that's poor. Watford are a mid-table side. They've underachieved this season. We beat them 8-0 at the start of this season. They were in the FA Cup final against us last year. Granted, we drugged them 6-0 in the final, but they have got some players in that squad. They're, they're some side, and we thumped them 8-0 at a counter. We were, we were sensational that day, and that just showed me that no matter what, no matter what, how many points they got or whatever, that day we showed exactly what we're about. Eight goals, it could have been 15. We're an unbelievable side, Ian, and I'm telling you now, they better watch their backs next season because we aren't well, as far behind them as they think. I'm now going to step back and I'm going to listen to you people have a debate between yourselves because I want you to explain to me how come this City team that can beat Watford 8-0, that can beat Norwich 5-0, that can go to Old Trafford in the first leg of the League Cup semi-final and play them off the park and mean that the second leg didn't matter, that can go to Real Madrid and win, which is no mean feat. And as Andy says quite correctly, arguably not only the performance of the season, but one of the performances of all time of Manchester City to go to the Bernabeu and win like that. I know Real Madrid are not quite what they were. We'll see what, how good they are, of course, in the second <laughs> leg. But, but you know, it's still something to go there. How come they can do all those things, but lose to Arsenal 2-0, lose to Norwich, lose to Southampton, lose to, you know, lose nine league games? How can that possibly happen? What is the reason? But I'm not going to keep chipping in here. I want to eat. I'm just going to sit back and I've got some popcorn here, right? And I'm just going to eat some popcorn. And I want, you know, I don't know. Are you all going to agree on this? Go on, Harlan, kick us Ian, off. Ian, this year we could have scored 150 goals in the league. Seriously. If we'd have taken even half of the extra chances that we created this year, we could have scored 150 goals in the league. The, the, the fact of the matter is, we, we, we've been scoring, and I think I think there's a few people agree on on the panel, and I think a lot of City fans agree on Twitter that we, we've scored five goals against Newcastle, five goals against Brighton, we drubbed Watford eight 0 at home, as good as Watford are as a side, unfortunately going down this season. But we we haven't scored enough goals in the games against the sides like Arsenal, or when we've gone one or two up, we've not crucified the opposition in the games that would have been key to us. <clears throat> closing the gap on Liverpool and potentially winning the league. It's all right scoring five and six goals after the, the opposition are literally lay on the floor going, or in, in a boxing um, analogy type thing, can't take any more punches. And then we're just hammering them and hammering them. In the games where we the obvious at the moment, Harlan. I want to know why. <laughs> I don't know. Because may, 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 right, maybe there's a bit of complacency there. Maybe there's a bit of complacency there. And then when we go into these games against sides that are going to come at us a bit more, that are going to put us under the cosh a bit. We 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 we've not been able to kind of combat that. And I still so, I still kind of think that. Um, sorry, I don't know. I'm talking over people. That we haven't had the same starting lineup in every single game this season. Yeah. And so I think that's an issue to begin with. That I've always liked a team to be a, a set team per 
game, take the cup matches out, I mean Premier League games, and then you bring your subs on throughout that match. And we can't compare one match against uh, Wolves and then one match against Arsenal because I, I can't say off the top of my head who the, who the starting lineup was in, in all these matches. But you can't compare it because we don't have the same team playing every week in, week out. So including at the front as well. You know, include it, and especially now we've not got Aguero. So is our squad too big and too good, and, he, and and the manager's got to massage all the egos of the players, no, so they're all going to no. get a game. No, I think playing for this team, that's a massage of the ego in itself, and and being a part of this team and being a part of this city should be enough for some of these players. They're getting paid a lot of money as well, um, and and you know, I think that might be quite nice for them too. So I do kind of feel that um, everyone should just put up, shut up. Do your job, play for your team, and and what was it? Was it Amy was just saying? Who was just saying before then about um, people that you work with? And yeah, yeah you're not gelling. But it don't mean to say that. And and then if you're at work and you're doing something, and then somebody takes over a bit, and somebody does yeah. another role in front of you, and you perhaps don't work as hard that day, or you don't have to do as much that day. Don't mean to say you still don't put your all in, and you still yeah. don't turn up. Turn up, you show up. Yeah. So. I think to uh, well to respond to to Louisa's point in terms of not having the strongest not having the same starting eleven. If we want to be the best team in Europe, if we want to be quadruple winners, every player who comes into the squad has has to be performing one hundred percent. If John Stones comes in, he has to assume he's a first choice starter and act like it. And and the problem is. The, the players haven't really, haven't they? Nicholas Otamendi and John Stones, no, they are not our first choice centre-backs. And when they come in, they've got one opportunity, one 90 minutes to try and prove themselves. And if they make one mistake, they've probably probably lost the chance for another four or five yeah. games. Um, I think, but in responding to Harlan's point, he almost sounded like he was blaming the attackers when really, I think you have to blame the defence. Yeah. Obviously, if you score 100 goals in a season, the attack is doing well. Whether they, whether they miss another 50 chances, where they probably have done, but the defence have conceded such silly goals. I, I can't remember who it was, but the, the most recent one was Benjamin Mendy and uh, Gundogan getting caught on the halfway line, and he just uh, Chelsea, I think it was, and he just ran straight through and scored. It's, it's just a game that we should have won, and one silly mistake has just cost us. I'm going to put another side of the argument here and then you can pick up the baton again because you're talking about the defence being at fault. So I'm going to put it to you that, um, you know, you've all sung the praises of Vincent Company and talked about the absence of him. And I would suggest that the thing that's absent from Vincent Company, as much as his footballing skill, is his yeah. character. Is yeah. his yeah, personality yeah. and Pablo Zabaleta had a little bit of that. Sometimes yeah. you see it now from Kevin De Bruyne. But I would also suggest that as much as the criticism of the defence for letting goals in at crucial moments is a valid one, what about, and I'm not having a go here, and, and I know Andy wants to come in on this one, so we'll let Andy respond to this, but that Kevin De Bruyne, yeah, I saw him today, sorry, in the Norwich game, um, go back and win a tackle, um, and 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 show that sort of fighting spirit that I want to see from a player. But and I'm not. I don't want to. Si I don't mean this to single out players. But da you know, David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, Foden, Mares. Um, it doesn't matter which one. Jesus. Um, 
even our, you know, Aguero maybe, Rodri to a certain extent. None of them show me that sort of, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I've got character. And some of the criticism that's been levelled at City is that Pep doesn't like players like that, big personalities, that he wants players he can, that are malleable, that can play in his system and play this perfect football. So is that lack of characters a problem? Is that what you wanted to answer, Andy? Well, yeah, I mean, Lakey said it on your, uh, your, I think it was your podcast last week about what if um, Mendy had Zabaleta's character? What a player he would be, or or if Zabaleta had Kyle Walker's speed. And I think that's, if you like, you know, perhaps to some to some extent, you know, what's what's missing. I mean. We've got the best goal difference by far of any team in the league. Eddie's won the Golden Glove. So something's gone wrong somewhere. And if we want to have an autopsy on the season, for me, you can start with Fernandinho not playing in his preferred position. Start there, one. Two, we haven't got the centre-backs that we need to be able to be champions of the Premier League. Then you could start to talk about the fact that on left-back, we've got a serious problem about reliability. Kyle's played well at right-back this season. But the thing that sticks out for me is that too many times this season, home and away, teams have said, right, we're going to press City. We're going to make it difficult for them coming through the middle of the park. We're going to push them wide. And we've been clueless. You know, Sending in crosses for the seven foot forward, we haven't got. So I think we've got nine or ten games this season where teams have worked us out and said, you know, there's a way you can actually stop these this this team from scoring. And what we need to do is ping one in. And I've been at many games where early on you thought, oh, we're going to have to dig deep here. And I don't want to criticise Pep. He's got a very clear philosophy about how we should play football. And when it when it when it's when it's on song, it's just the greatest thing to watch. It's beautiful. But unfortunately, I'm not sure that it's going to win us like Bayern Munich, you know, the, the, the league every year. And I hope it doesn't. And I think Liverpool have shown that their Wimbledon-style football works. OK, I say it tongue-in-cheek, but the fact is that they do play a more direct style. They do, you know, you know explode out of defence and score goals very quickly. I don't see us doing that. Very rarely, you know, I think when Tory was playing, we could do that. We, we sort of had that possibility. But now we want to see this kind of graceful, beautiful ballet football, which works a lot. And it brings us second place. And we're not satisfied with second place anymore. So I think we've got to think about adaptability for the Premier League, perhaps as Pep has done for the Champions League, that we've changed our style in the Champions League and it's bringing us results. So I think, you know, that's kind of like the frustration about character of players. Yeah, um, I don't think it's fair to start to say people haven't got the guts and the guile. But we talked in, you know, many post-match uh, podcasts this season where I've been very critical of effort on the likes of De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, not tracking back, not coming back, not working hard. Gundogan gets a, a lot of bad press as well from from the same. So. I think we do have to start to see energy levels increase, just as we do from teams that we play against who want to compete against us. Their energy levels are huge. This is their 
cup final, so to speak, to, to take the scalp of City. And too many teams this season have targeted us to try and stop us and have been successful at it more than we used to. We are not Atletico Madrid. Nowhere near in terms of defensive capability. And that's not what Pep wants. But unfortunately, that means that you are going to find some games difficult to win in whatever tournament you're playing. Yeah, I kind of feel like... Um, I'm glad you mentioned Torre then because it was it, I was about to sort of say it myself. Not necessarily we have to have big, these big, massive personalities, especially if Pep doesn't kind of want that vibe going on. But we absolutely need powerful, I'm not saying aggressive as in chopping legs to pieces and ankle, <laughs> but an, an aggressive person like Tori, that, that strength and that power of that guy running up that pitch mm. straight into defend, midfielders and defenders. He wasn't necessarily the most skilled player that we've ever had, but his power, his presence, he would be barging through that field mm. and everybody was leaping out of the guy's way. You know, and, and we've got it in, we've got it very, at the very, very front in Aguero because he's so very powerful. He's small and he can spin very quickly, but the power in that guy's legs and his lower body is what gets those goals for us. Um, you know, it's nothing to do with his personality as such. You know, yeah. he doesn't really show a big one, does he, Aguero, yeah. even though he's everybody's hero. Um, and, and I do feel like the, the Vincent company, what a, what a personality and what utter strength and power in that player. And, uh, you know, in, in the days of, um, you know, sort of Roy Keane, Vinnie Jones, even overseas Ronald Koeman, that very aggressive behaviour. Obviously, I'm glad to kind of see the back of that sort of stuff that used to go on. But I still don't see why people can't have that presence and, and that sort of forcefulness going up and down that pitch. And I don't think every, every single player needs to be like that by any means. I just think we need one or two that get an absolute grip of a game and yeah. start barging through towards that goal and on his own scores great or not on his own and then the others are speeding along to, to, to pick up with them. So, yeah. We'll, we'll talk on, on the next podcast. There'll be another one before the Madrid game, looking ahead to that match and, and, and analysing what needs to happen in it. But I'll still introduce a subject that my son brought up while we were watching the game against Norwich, which was basically um, as much as... I admire the skills of Eric Garcia and I've seen him a very football intelligent player. He said to me, um, if Ibrahimovic was playing against Eric Garcia, he'd go, come on, bring it on. And you could say that actually about lots of top players. Now, that's not having a go at Eric Garcia. That's not me having a personal attack on him. He's a very good player, a player I desperately want to succeed, just as everybody wants to see Phil Foden succeed, just as I'd love to see Taylor Howard Bellis come through and Tommy Doyle. But actually, when I bring Tommy Doyle into the equation, because of his pedigree with Mike Doyle and Glyn Pardo, who were two hard men um, in the old days, I do see a bit more of that personality in Tommy Doyle. But in Eric Garcia and, and in Phil Foden, um, and, you know, the, those young players, I still don't see that, that personality. And when I look at, at uh, the Real Madrid game, Whilst I expect City, frankly, to beat Madrid, being 2-1 up from the first leg, having two away goals, I'm pretty confident that City will get through that. Um, but still, I think 
Eric Garcia, because it looks as if that's the direction he's going to go in, Pep, isn't it? I tell you, Ian, now you've said that, for me, I'm just thinking back now about Premier League winners over the, over the years and I'm thinking of Vincent Company, Virgil van Dijk, John Terry, um, you know, uh, the great United fullbacks, and they had Vidic, they had Ferdinand, you know, uh, Gary Pallister, um, you know. The, that, jo- that Chelsea team that had John Terry, that, that shouldn't have won the Champions League that year, clear. Um, but they won it be- they had, because they had big, yes. determined defenders, didn't right. they? Right, so so I think I think you know that that kind of you know talking about spine of teams, and that particular part of the pitch, we just haven't had anybody this season, and I, I'm we've, got to, that, we've got to pick up on who said that before about um, Edison. Was it you that mm. came in, Andy, with the Edison thing? Uh, no, somebody said about Edison being, uh, if it weren't for him, was it you, Amy? Yeah, Amy, we've not heard from Amy. Come on, Amy, you chip <laughs> up now. <laughs> well, I, I like. Going back to like um, you know people who who, who pushes on, I always remember t- you know hearing Joe Hart screaming like telling us to like you know get forward or whatever, and then we had Vinny as well, and I don't know how true it was, but uh, you know J- Joe Hart was obviously always shouting quite a lot and things like that, and I don't think Pep liked that about him. Um, you know, I don't know how, how true it was, but apparently, you know, when, when they were G, he used to G everyone up in the tunnel, obviously they've got the little kids in the mascots and obviously he used to swear a bit and Pep didn't like that. Um, but people are quite, you know, people want to G up. They do do these things and I think that's what's missing. I do genuinely think we need that person to, to, to G us up. I really do. I think that's what's missing. We listed before um, Pablo Zabaleta and Vincent Company, yeah. and quite quickly, I know Vincent Company stayed till the end of last season. But you def- I definitely sensed that 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 Pep was ready to move forward from those players. Now, whether it was just purely because of their age, purely because he felt that the best years were behind them, and maybe that could be said of Joe Hart as well. But there was an always an underlying speculation. I know we're into the, the, the realms of speculation here, that those big personalities that you're talking yeah. about, Amy, were yeah. the issue with Pep Guardiola. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Pep comes... But I, what, watching, watching the documentary... Um, Pep seems to be quite an, a, a passionate person, whether that's his nationality or, you know, like the Italians, the French, the, you know, the Spanish, they are very passionate people. And he comes across as quite like that. So I did, don't understand why he wouldn't want players who, who want it, who want the trophies, who want the passion. This is what I don't understand. Because from coming across of watching the documentary... He is like that himself, you know, like he, he's always said, I'll defend you to the hill, to the cameras, but in here, I will come down on you like a ton of bricks. So that's what I don't get. If he doesn't want that type of play, why is he like that himself? And I love Pep. I've loved Pep from since the day I first saw him. But that's what I'm saying. If you don't want that, why be like that yourself? I think... I don't think it's a fact of Pep not wanting these players with passion, but it's it's a, it's a hard player to buy. 
it's a hard player to bring somebody in in the summer and instantly say, okay, you need to be our leader. You need to be our rock. It's not something you go out and replace over one summer. It's something that, it's something that needs to be built. I, w- I was half hoping John Stones would have taken that mantle because a few years ago I had him down yeah. to England captain. I, I really did have high hopes for John Stones and I thought he would be the man to become our rock. Unfortunately, it's not happened. But you've... Something's, got, something's gone very wrong with John. I don't know whether it's the confidence thing or what. And a lot of players, that has happened to him. Bernardo Silva with the Mendy thing, you could tell it proper ruined yeah. his confidence. Mendy, he's had a lot of confidence. You know, he got injured and confidence, you know, if, you're not, if you, something goes wrong in your life, your confidence goes as well. And you need that. You need something good to happen to help you with your confidence. And I, think I can some, relate to that on a personal level, actually. Yes, I can too. I honestly can too. I, I've been to hell and back in, in some respects. And it is taking me a long time to get my... Hence why I'm doing these things to help me get my confidence back. Because... It, sorry, go on. Go on, Amy. I, I, say, I, I think there's one thing that we've got to think about here. Um, and Ian bringing me business heading. Think of a competitive landscape. It's not just about City and the team. It's about the league we're in. It's about the competition we're in. It's got better. It's got stronger. People don't want to see, and I don't want to see, one team winning the league every year. And so it's got more difficult, and teams have got better. They've learned from Guardiola's style. He's changed the Premier League. And so that means you can't sit still. You can't just accept what, what worked last year doesn't mean you're going to win this year. That's what's got to happen. And this year, we haven't evolved to the same degree we have over the past two or three years for a number of reasons. And I think we talked about it. Company, Fernandinho, blah, blah, Silver, you know, and so on. And it's got to be, a, you know, a constant cycle. And he's had that with Barcelona. He's had that incredible, you know, vein of talent coming in year on year. He, he, he ran the B team before he, he ran the A team. You know, Bayern Munich, again, one of the greatest teams in Europe, never won the Champions League, so he was considered a failure there. And I think, you know, the standards he sets and what he does, the the leagues that he's in profit from the fact that he's part of it. And, and, you know, we've got to just be patient and expect that it's going to take, you know, time before, you know, we're up there really doing this year in, year out. You know, we've just been great, great that we've got the players we've got. But we've got to get more and more of those players playing at that standard more consistently. And I think that's been the reason why we haven't won the league this year. But in the end, the competition is very, very fierce. The wealth of the Premier League makes it possible to be fierce. And I think it's all around being, if you were a neutral, you could say it's a great thing. And I think it is a good thing because, you know, it does mean that, you know, Teams have to work hard to get fourth place, as we've seen today from the mighty others. You know how pleased they are just to get fourth or third. I just wanna, you know, well, one thing I will say, because we're coming towards the end of this podcast, is that there will be a podcast ahead of the Real Madrid game, so we'll look at that in some detail. Whenever the season ends, whenever City either win the Champions League or go out, there will of course be a look back on 
what went wrong or what it was like to lift the European Cup in Lisbon, wherever that, that story goes. And then I propose to do one more final podcast before I take a little hiatus for the summer, because thanks to charleslouis.co.uk, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors, the podcast will certainly return next season. Um, mm. Whether the vlogs will, in what form and how they're going to be financed in the future it is still to be decided. But certainly the podcasts will be back. And the one podcast I want to do before we sign off for our mini summer break uh, will be what happens when fans start coming back, um, what sort of numbers are going to go back, um, how they're going to be selected, uh, are people going to be scared to go back even if they're given the chance to go back, there's a whole, and, and will football have to change, will City have to change in terms of who they're trying to attract because at the moment they seem to put a lot of effort in, in getting overseas supporters which I've embraced completely in the vlogs that I do and I love the fact that there are fans all over the world but with the restrictions on travel, etc., is that going to have to be done in a different way going forward? So that's a subject we'll come to. One thing I wanted to say to Amy, by the way, is that, and I know Louisa will echo this because as we've talked about various things, is that, you know, I've had tough times just recently. I make no bones about it and I've struggled from time, time to time. I'm glad you've, you've taken the opportunity to get involved in this and you're a very, very welcome addition to the podcast. So thanks for doing that and you're an outstanding you. contributor. So thank you. I'm going to finish off this podcast by, by going around you all um, and, and asking you now for quite a simple one which you can you can expand on as much as you want which is your player of the year who is your player of the year and why now it, you might end up all saying the same thing I bet none of you <laughs> say what I say but but go on Will can kick us off um who's your player of the year and why um I know it could still change if we win the Champions League so that's the little <laughs> rider we put on it but up till now I'm going to try and avoid the obvious one. So my player of the year without the obvious one is Raheem Sterling. Um, I think he's just stepped up so much as, as I wouldn't say a leader. I think he's, he's got a long way to go for that. But he's such a focal point of our team. I think he's the first name on the team sheet now. You can rely on him to assist. You can rely on him to score. Uh, obviously, he's at, only due to Aguero's injury, but he's ended the season as our top scorer. Um, so when was the last time we did that? I think it was before we signed Aguero, the, the last player who wasn't our top scorer. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say Raheem Sterling has definitely um, definitely shown his mettle this year. And from what you were hinting at, I assume the one you are not naming is Kevin De Bruyne. Of course. Okay, Louisa, go on. All right, well, um, I'll avoid Kevin De Bruyne as no, well. No, you don't have to. No, you don't have to. <laughs> no, no, tell you why because it's something I've, I wanted to say a bit earlier for us to consider as uh, why we've not quite had it this season as well and I'm gonna say Edison and I'm gonna say him because not only has he just won the golden glove for the cleanest sheets but I feel this season I got a line in I my head. I love that expression there. by the way the cleanest sheets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very clean sheets. I got a line in my head and I had to look it up just to check I was thinking the right thing. And I think this season has been the season of the goalkeeper. It's been the year of the goalkeeper, not just Edison, of all the goalkeepers. We have, we have been 
firing balls at those nets for game after game after game. And, and there's been goalkeeper, 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 goalkeeper. Today, it happened with Norwich's keeper. He kept a few out. Arsenal, that match we had against them, my God, their goalkeeper was pretty hot. So I looked this up, Ian, and everybody else. And this season, apart from 2014-15, when only 975 goals were scored that season, so below 1,000 goals, this season, I think, apart from today, I've not got today's stats yet, it was 1,001 goals this morning scored this season. So that is the lowest scoring season in the last 10 years. And I got that line stuck in my head before I looked this up. And I just felt this season has been the year of the goalkeeper. And that's possibly had an influence on our league uh, efforts as well as everybody else's. So I'm going with Edison. Alan, who are you going for as your player of the year? I can definitely see what Louise is going on about with Edison. I mean, he's a better football than Jordan Henderson. Um, and he's a goalkeeper um, he actually is a better central midfielder than Jordan Henderson and I've never really seen him there but I can just imagine him being um, Ian, but my so. player of the season um, I think, you know I love Sergio and I think like I say, if he'd have stayed fit he'd have scored a hell of a lot more goals, not only this season but in his Premier League career and he'd have smashed Euro's record to pieces but um, I've got to echo what Will said, I think that is a great shout, Raza uh, he's on for He's on for 35 goals. You know, he's got the Champions League to incorporate in his in his um, goals in all comps this year. The guy's hit 20 in the Premier League. You know, I remember Tevez hitting 20 and Berbatov matching it. Aubameyang, Salah and Mane last year on 22. This is a guy that when we first signed him, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't a massive fan of him. But he's he's progressed and progressed and progressed. And if you look at the trajectory of Raheem Sterling scoring seasons, he's got better and better and better. And the kid, the, the world's his oyster, Ian. The, the kid's unbelievable. And I'm really proud to call him our Raheem Sterling because he's, he's a tremendous player. And I think even Sergio will be proud this year because he's, he's, he's carried the baton when Sergio's not been there. And Raheem's been very grown up. I mean, he could have had 40 this season. He's missed a few chances. But Sterling's been outstanding, Ian. And I think what Will said, I echo it completely. He's quality, isn't he? I've got a feeling when I come to Amy now that she might feel that Louise has stolen the thunder, but maybe she won't go for Edison. Who are you going to go for, Amy? Right. Well, as people who know me will tell you, I am obsessed with Sergio Aguero. i literally obsessed with him, right? I've, I've met him and I just love him to pieces. There is nothing. I, I just absolutely adore him. I, I can't tell you how much I love him. Everybody at work laughs at me. My friends laugh at me because of how much I am obsessed with Sergio. But, and I'm really gutted that he's got injured again. But I have to say, um, if it was, if Sergio had been there, it would have been Sergio. But I have to say that for me, Mares has been excellent. I think like he's a great addition to the team. And I hope he stays with us for for quite some time because I, I do think that when he's come on he's he's got on with the job and he's he's done what he's been asked to do and I really like him I think okay I think he's a great addition to the team. There seems to be three on the official shortlist the club's player of the year and it is um, if I'm not mistaken Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez. So whilst I've seen people on social media suggesting that Mahrez shouldn't be in that bracket, you're suggesting he should be the winner. I mean, Kevin's been spectacular. There is no, there is no doubt about it. 
but you you're gonna say Kevin, it's one of them, isn't it? But I I really really like Mares. I really do. I mean, I thought he was good at Leicester, so when he came to us. I was quite happy about it because I thought, well, you know, and I, I do think he's a great addition to us and I hope he does stay with us for quite some time. I mean, that's some shout that. Riyad Mahrez could pluck a chicken without looking at it. Um, <laughs> ball, ball pops out of air and he'll just... With his left foot, you mean? With his, with left, his foot. left foot, yeah. yeah. Well, unbelievable. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Foot. Obviously, obviously a, halal, a halal chicken because of obviously his, <laughs> his beliefs. But he, he, is, he is unbelievable. Amy, it's a great shout again. There's loads of players. They're all stars. Now Andy's going to uh, going to pluck another name out. Are you going to surprise us, Andrew? Easy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's the QC we had at the uh, at the cast hearing. <laughs> so uh, anyone anyone else is 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 miles away from being player of the season. Uh, <laughs> actually, um, of course, it's dead easy to to look at the the players that are in the shortlist. But actually, this season. I think there's two players who probably we haven't named that I would like to mention. And first one is Fernandinho. And I, I'm going to say that because he's just got on with what he's been asked to do. Um, he's not whinged about it. It's obviously not been his preferred role. And, you know, particularly in the first half of the season, the praises that were placed on him by the manager and by everybody, all the pundits were, this guy can play anywhere. And I think he's got to be uh, worthy of a mention. And the other player, for me, with a bit of pressure on him, who's really performed and pulled us out so many times this season, is Kyle Walker. I think we've seen the best of Kyle Walker this season in terms of his defensive uh, capabilities. And and for me, yeah, all the all the people that everybody's nominated, I think, yeah, fair enough. But for me, just just digging in. Uh, the start of the season, Fernandinho would be my choice. It'd be hard for me to disagree with you because I'm a huge admirer of Fernandinho. And actually, you've made cases for lots of different players and I find it hard to disagree. But much to Amy's delight, um, my <laughs> player of the year would still be Sergio Aguero. Um, I, I think he is the player on the pitch when I'm at a game uh, particularly in the away end, uh, you know, when it's always tougher away from home and City aren't necessarily playing that well, who you always believe that while he's on the field, a goal can be scored, a piece of magic can, can happen. And he scores lots of first goals in games. And although he's been injured in this season, he still scored lots of first goals. The first goal in a game, the one that gives your team the lead, is always the crucial goal. And as long as Sergio Aguero is on the field, um, I forget what the away game was this season. I wish I could just bring it to mind. But there was an away game where the City fans were behind the goal and there was about 10 or 15 minutes to go. And as I remember it, we were still drawing. And, and I thought, as long as Sergio's on the pitch, and then suddenly Sergio scored a goal. And so for that reason alone, even though I don't disagree with anything that you've said, any of you, um, my vote for Player of the Year would go to Sergio Aguero, who is uh, an amazing player. And to think that this time next year, just as people have been saying a sad farewell, albeit... Don't, don't say it. Don't say don't. it. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, I mean, people have been giving David Silver virtual hugs, and I and I yeah. and I tweeted out a picture earlier of um, 
uh, Colin Bell and David Silver together, um, which has a lot of response, which uh, Colin's son John actually tweeted out. So I stole a picture off him. And to me, that is the ultimate picture because Colin Bell was my hero. David Silver is, is, is his heir apparent in terms of midfielders, although I'm a big Yaya Torre fan. But when Aguero goals, goals, as much as I love Franny Lee, as much as I love Sean Gorter, as much as I love other great strikers that we've had, even Nicholas and Elka, even Trevor Francis in their short, short spells, there can be no argument that Sergio Aguero is the greatest striker and, and, and the most significant player, I believe, that we've had in the club's history. Um, I, will so, need, yeah. I will need a month off work when he goes. I seriously will like, need some sort of therapy. Like, I don't think I could cope. Like, I don't think there is just, like, I don't even want to think about it. I was upset that David's gone. I was upset Vinny went. Zabba, like, all the players that have gone. Nicky Weaver, oh, my God, you should have seen me. I was like, like, something not even quite right. But when Sergio goes, I will need therapy. I definitely need some sort of help. Wow. I, I kind of think that for the for the player of the year, and we've all picked for the reason that I'm going to say, is that it's. I think when you're looking at that, you've got to think of a player that has the ability to flip that game on its head and to change the game uh, for the better. And I know none of us picked Abronia to, to avoid the obvious, <laughs> but as Aguero has had to uh, step to one side this season, um, I, I, I do feel that uh, Abronia has picked up that gauntlet too. And he's been the one that said, right, this game needs to change. Something yeah. needs it's to happen It's a here. team game and, and Kevin De Bruyne yeah. is absolutely a standout player and should have been the Premier League's player of the year and Definitely. certainly is the best midfielder <laughs> um, in this country by a country mile. But I would still argue that when we get to that Champions League game, even though we'll play, we'll, we'll talk about it in more depth, that if I had to choose, and this is a controversial way to end this <laughs> podcast, but if I had to choose between missing Kevin De Bruyne or missing Sergio Aguero Ooh. for that Champions League game, I'd rather have Sergio playing if I had to choose because I still think that in tight games against teams on the same level as us, of course, we know that Kevin's capable of a great goal or a great through pass, but Sergio would be mine. But isn't it great? It's like having, it's like having 10 kids and somebody saying to you, who's your favourite kid? <laughs> or, or having a box of chocolates on Christmas morning and you're going, oh, I don't know whether to have the strawberry one or, or whether to have the raspberry one. Or, you know, it's so difficult. And aren't we lucky to be in a position where as City fans, <laughs> we have spoilt for choice? I think yeah. the league's lucky, Ian. The league's lucky to have yeah. our players in it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think play, players that we've got get a lot of stick and don't get the, the justice they deserve from um, pundits, commentators, no offence, uh, journalists, etc., etc. But every fan of every club loves David Silva as much as they try to not admit it on social media. Every fan of every club knows that Sergio Aguero is an unbelievable striker. They, they, they love um, Fernandinho. Loads of different fans of loads of different clubs would love to have Fernandinho as much as they say he wouldn't get in our team. Every single one of our players would get in your team, whoever you support. Yeah. Just leave it on that note. That, that's the optimistic Harlem we love. Um, <laughs> we're going to do another podcast, uh, not during this week. It'll be in the week leading up to the Real Madrid game. Um, in the meantime, uh, on the vlogs that I do on YouTube, I've got a couple of great interviews coming up. I talked to Uwe Rosler, 
um, who's been manager of Dusseldorf this season, talks about the Champions League. I've been speaking to Andy Peebles, who you might not recognise that name if you're a younger fan, um, but he's he's a former Radio 1 DJ. He was the man who interviewed John Lennon before, sadly, he was assassinated. Uh, he's also a PA man at City. Great stories to tell. I've been asking him about Peter Swales, about uh, Colin Bell. He was talking to me about the Martin Buchan tackle um, and different perspective uh, on that, which I won't give the game away about. But those are the interviews that you will see on YouTube in the build-up to the Real Madrid game. So um, have a good week. Um, thanks to everybody who's joined me tonight. Will, you'll now start beavering away, putting the podcast together. To Harlan, to Louisa, to Amy and to Andy. Um, and thank you for listening and thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk who are the sponsors of the podcast um, enjoy the rest of the week um, let's let's have a little chill out for a bit and then we'll get back <laughs> to the build up to the Real Madrid game and uh, d- despite the fact that we finished second despite the fact that we haven't won the FA Cup this season isn't it great to be a blue great to be a blue great to be a blue <laughs> never blue <laughs>